Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of the Rodeo and the Horn podcast. I am here with my, you know, great friend, just living the dream, Ryan. Ryan, how's it going? What's going on? You know, I'm doing good today, Donnie. You know, here we are. It's August now. So, you know, a good month, a hot month, but, you know, finishing up baseball season for me, getting ready to move out to New York. So been an exciting week to say the least, just wrapping things up, going to my final baseball games, uh, you know, doing broadcasting here in the state of Missouri. So it's been fun. It's been a good summer. Can't complain. We got some sports news to talk about, obviously, today with uh, MLB trade deadline and, and also some football offseason notes of uh, people doing things wrong. So that's kind of funny. But yeah, I'm excited, ready to go. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Uh, obviously, yeah, there's there's a lot that's been done wrong in the NFL. I'm sure there's going to be even more. Um, you know, we've obviously got some commanders news coming up in a couple weeks, it looks like. And obviously, that's a blast. Um, but I guess we can get started with the MLB trade deadline, which was, was very impactful for a lot of teams and very quiet for other teams. I think both the Dodgers and Cubs were a little bit more, you know, subdued than, than what you would have expected in their current positions. But one team that was not subdued in their current position was the San Diego Padres, who decided, hey, we need to make some moves. We're, we're playing good ball. Obviously, they're in a playoff spot, a pretty, pretty strong playoff spot, too, which is surprising, I guess, given how good the NL has been this year. Um, and, you know, obviously the Padres are missing Fernando Tatis still. So that's a, that's an interesting little aspect of things. But um, the Padres decided, hey, we're going to go out there and make the biggest splash of them all. Um, got what I think many people are saying uh, is the biggest trade in at least recent MLB history, at least like the last, you know, couple, couple decades at this point, um, acquiring Juan Soto and Josh Bell. From the Nationals in return, uh, the Nationals ended up getting Mackenzie Gore, who's a former top prospect in the MLB, pitching pretty well in the MLB. Um, shortstop CJ Abrams, who was the number one prospect last year in the Padres system. Uh, Robert Hassel is currently the number one prospect in the system. Uh, James Wood, who's number three, and Harlan Susana for uh, you know added in a, a little pitcher prospect in there, number fifteen in their system. Um, First off, I guess I'll just ask, like, Juan Soto trade probably shouldn't have happened, right? Something that you, you have to think, you know, we've seen in the NHL a little bit, actually, with guys like Matthew Kachuk. They're like, yeah, you know, I don't want to stick here. Um, and now we see Juan Soto, who is is incredibly young. Guys like this do not get traded. I think they were saying on the broadcast, um, players that had put up this much war before age 25, um, there's only one trade that's ever happened uh, with a guy in, involving that. It was in 1883. So yeah. we were, we're talking about like the most, one of the most historic trades in, in MLB history here. Uh, first off, uh, well, I guess we'll just start with like the basis of this. Juan Soto shouldn't be traded ever, right? Like this, this is a, this is a probably a likely mistake from the Nationals, correct? Yeah, I, I've kind of gone back and forth on this. And I feel like this kind of trade, when I saw it end up happening for the Nationals, you know, Soto had been in trade talks for a while after he rejected a 15-year contract from the Nationals. That was the second it became, okay, seems like the Nationals are going to look to trade him. And, you know, maybe there's kind of an extreme where it's like, really, you couldn't find any other sort of middle ground to keep, you know, one of the best young players in baseball at 23, if even if he rejects a 15-year massive contract. But I think when I look at this, this trade really kind of happened, and it's a few 
few years in the making. We look at last year, the Nationals, they traded away Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. You know, they let Anthony Rendon go in free agency over the last couple of years. You know, they got their World Series a few years ago, and then they made the choice, the the clear direction. You know, we're really not going to keep all these guys that helped us get to that World Series championship when we're a big part of it. We're going to start to rebuild. We're going to replenish the prospect pool. And through doing these trades, they got some unbelievable prospects back. You know, in this trade specifically, you get C.J. Abrams and Mackenzie Gore, guys that have already been good in the MLB. You get the number one and number three prospects in the Padres system in addition to that. So I think that trading Soto was kind of just all a part of the long plan for the Nationals that, hey, we ended up winning our World Series a few years ago. We're going to move on from the guys that got us there and try to build up this next young core of guys that we hope can can get us back to that spot. So I kind of go back and forth. Is that a good strategy? Is, is trading away guys like Trey Turner and Juan Soto smart, even though they're still really young and some of the best young players in baseball? But they kind of have this clear direction, which is something that, you know, I definitely am for, um, although, albeit, you know, a very risky strategies too. But I think from a national standpoint, it wasn't even necessarily just the Soto trade. I look at kind of a collection of their moves over the last few years in terms of why this this deal run, it really kind of came up. Yeah, and it is interesting because the Padres are certainly not in a position to where they were, you know, previously looked at as like, okay, this is a, a World Series contender, no doubt, not a question. Um, and I guess to get to that point, they decided, hey, you know, Juan Soto is the guy. We need to pick him up, obviously, long-term, putting him next to Fernando Tatis. Um, it should be very exciting, given the fact that I think they were the top two award uh, producers in last year's season, which is, uh, in terms of position players, obviously, pitchers end up getting a little bit more help there. But you know, you put the two best players in the league in terms of just pure offensive ability and also their defensive ability, because I think Juan Soto, um, something that's been underrated is Juan Soto's like drive for the game. He is going to die for balls. He's going to play his, his heart out every time he plays um, the baseball game, which is, you know, I, I guess it's something that you expect out of guys, but you don't always see out of players. Players are not always going to give 110%, whereas Juan Soto, you know, you're going to get 110% every game. Um, I do think, you know, if there was a return that was going to make any type of sense, I think the Padres ended up ponying up enough value to where it's like, okay, so this trade makes some sort of semblance of sense for the Nationals. Uh, obviously, we've seen Mackenzie Gore uh, prior years has been a, a really tough little battle for him, but he's figured it out. Um, CJ Abrams was the number one prospect last year. <laughs> the guy they got, they got three guys that are are all top 15 prospects, including number one and number three. And, you know, Luke Voigt, Josh Bell, probably not crazy different players. I, I think it's shocking that, that the Nationals would decide, hey, you know, Juan Soto's got to go. Uh, I do think maybe like there's there was another way. I'm sure they, they should have considered maybe like a shorter term deal with higher, higher dollar amount. I, I think, you know, you have to build around a guy like that. But I guess I'm not surprised. The Nationals seem to be kind of like a, a what I would consider a clusterfuck in terms of like, you know, this year has been bad. They don't hit any home runs. You have Juan Soto and Josh Bell on your team and you're last in league in homers so like that shouldn't ever happen right like we should be in a position where that is totally like not even a worry yet you know i i guess it only comes to the point where this is a nationals rebuild before we move on this is a national rebuild it's going to be a couple of years it's going to be it's going to be three four five years and i guess you know they didn't even really sell out to win a world series but they won the world series so i guess you can't be as mad but I'm sure Nationals are just in there like, yeah, we just traded our our toddler superstar who was supposed to lead us back to the World Series in a couple of years. Like we were supposed to be in a position. And now, you know, it's got to be tough. You're going to the Nationals game. You're like, I want to buy a jersey. Like, who are you? Who are you buying? What do you, what jersey are you buying for the Nationals right now? It, there's nothing there. 
Yeah, they, yeah, I agree with you that they are in this, you know, now kind of a lengthy rebuild. But I think when you make a trade like this, that really kind of stimulates it. That helps you add a lot of young prospects. And especially in the case of Gore and Abrams, guys that are already pretty ready to play. I know Mackenzie Gore is injured at the exact moment, but, you know, plans to be, a, you know, a guy that they could rely upon to be, a, you know, number one or number two guy in the rotation over the next few years. And Abrams could be, uh, you know, a long-term starter for them as well. So I think that they got a large quantity in return. I, I think I agree with your analysis on that, Donnie, that the return was fair, albeit for, you know, one of the superstars in, in the game who's still very young. But um, yeah, I, I think that it made sense on both ends. I wasn't necessarily sure if a team would end up paying the value, but the Padres were always in those talks. And, you know, it comes a day after they got Josh Hader as well. So they get, you know, a big bullpen arm, you know, they're the Padres. Now they're in a spot where, yeah, they're still trailing the Dodgers by, you know, at this point, 11 and a half games. So they're probably looking at a situation where they could be competing in a wild card. Maybe they play teams like Atlanta or Milwaukee, uh, you know, in the, in the first round uh, before they, you know, end up moving on to have to face, you know, one of the top dogs in the NL, like the Mets or Dodgers. But I think they put themselves in more of a competitive spot, but I'm still a little skeptical that it will kind of work out for them. You know, obviously when you make big moves like this, big splashes, you know, they get all the headlines, everyone's looking at them, but it's still going to come down to how they end up playing out there, you know, on the field, of course. So I'm still, you know, on paper, I think that the roster looks really good for the Padres and they can't compete, but I'm, I'm still not sure if they're up to that level of, uh, of the Mets and Dodgers, uh, you know, I guess time will tell. And, and obviously Soto will be a big bat uh, without a doubt. And especially when they get Tatis back, there's potential to do it, but I'm not willing to say that I think the Padres are like the front runners in the NL or anything like that at this point. But, um, you know, they, they put themselves at least in more of a competitive spot to be, I would say, one of the, you know, the top three or four teams in the NL. Yeah. And you mentioned, obviously, you know, adding Josh Hader. They got Josh Hader for Taylor Rogers, who had one less save this year. And, and they're number seven, number 28. And Denelson Lamette, who has had a, a very interesting last couple of years with injuries and such. Um I think you're at a point where the Padres, obviously, they're making deals for now, but they're also making deals long term. I think you start off the year next year with Juan Soto, uh, Fernando Tatis, and Manny Machado all in the lineup and healthy. Um, you know, the Dodgers are, are not a concern to you. You are just concerned about winning your own games. You know, obviously, you're going to have to, uh, this is a Padres team that's going to have to put up 100 wins for the next decade to, to really just like be able to live up to what they've done here. Um, obviously, I guess before we move on, we can talk about Josh Hader. It's like you're getting what I think is the top closer in baseball, at least like the, the one of the most feared. Um, he goes out there. It's hard to hit the guy. Obviously, he's going to give up some home runs here and there. Everybody does. There's not a closer in the in Major League Baseball that doesn't make mistakes. Um, and, but if you're the Padres, you know, you've dealt with these issues the last couple of years. Obviously, they've been rotating in what seems like random, random guys like we, the Mark Melanson era was a really interesting, you know, it worked pretty well for them, but now you're getting a guy like Josh Hader who is as consistent as they get, as good as they get in the closer position. And it doesn't seem like the Padres gave up a whole lot on top of Rogers, who was not like a, a huge ad for them. It's not like a guy that he, he spent millions to get in, in the Padres front office. So um, Josh Hader's, I, I think, as scary as Juan Soto is almost like you get the ninth inning. It, it's got to be a tough battle for you, regardless of who you are. Even as a Dodgers fan, I'm sitting there like you, you could throw up the, the top of the order. I'm still going to say, you know, Josh Hader, he's always going to have the edge on, on your batters. There's pretty much no doubt on that. Yeah, I have to agree. That's really kind of just the MO of the Padres. I mean, you think back to when they had Trevor Hoffman, you mentioned Melanson, guys like Kirby Yates have been a great closers. I feel like that's always just kind of been a theme that 
they've had, they've always had, you know, dynamite closers and, uh, you know, games in San Diego, they like ring the bell in the ninth inning. And that just always kind of seems to be, uh, you know, their kind of big strategy. And for Hader, they'll have him for this year and also next year, a free agent in 2024. So, you know, they're going to have a lot of big guys that are, are free agents after next year um, that they'll have to make big decisions on. You know, Hader is one of them. Uh, Blake Snell, another guy they added over the last few years. He's a free agent that year, um, as well as you Darvish. So uh, lots of choices of, uh, you know, the Padres, they have this little bit of a window, uh, you know, here this year. And I would even say into next year that they're going to really have to kind of capitalize it. And, you know, that's big, big moves from the front office. They're clearly expecting a championship, uh, you know, I would say over the next two years, if, if they're going to get there and maybe they have a little bit more firepower and potentially get there. But obviously, like I said, you got to go out there and prove it on the field. I think for the hater trade I was just more surprised that the Brewers did something like that like we're talking about a team who's first in their division right now in the NL Central leading the Cardinals by just two games and I think really the strength of the Brewers comes with their pitching staff and yeah they've got some really good starters guys like Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta you know when when he's healthy uh, you know really good starting staff but I think their bullpen has really kind of been a big reason why they've been a pretty competitive team over the last few years albeit you know kind of I think a, a subpar lineup although they've been good this year I think their bullpen has been a reason why the Brewers have been you know a pretty competent team in the National League and you trade away Josh Hader the the face of your team even if you're maybe not super confident you can re-sign him after next year it was just a surprising move for me to see a team that's still competing you know trading away by far what I think is is their best arm at least out of the bullpen yeah I think it's interesting obviously Taylor Rogers is having a really good year in terms of just being able to close games out uh, the ERA is really high though so I think you know obviously he's probably not expected to come in and, and step in in the ninth inning for them obviously I think the Brewers are the one team that I think you could get away with a trade like this, given the fact that they still have other guys out of their bullpen. It's like we've been waiting on Devin Williams to step into that role for, for quite a while now. And I think that everybody was like, yeah, that's going to happen eventually. I'm not sure when um, Devin Williams is. I, I think you could rationalize Devin Williams being the best reliever in baseball, or at least very, very close to the best reliever in baseball, given the performance that he's had this year. Um, this is a guy that every time I see a number, you know, obviously his ERA is under two, well under two. He's going to be consistently not giving up hits, doesn't really walk people um, most of the time. It's an interesting it's an interesting finesse, I think, for the Padres because obviously, you know, Josh Hader, I don't think they're going to end up being able to keep Josh Hader either, given the fact that you're, they're going to have to give out contracts to everybody else. Like, right. we're talking about Manny Machado's already making $30 million a year. Fernandez is making a ton of money once he gets – um you know, onto his contract. And then we're talking about Juan Soto, who if he's rejecting 15 years at, at 29 mil per year or whatever it was, like there's going to be big money spent. Josh Hader will not be a guy that they're willing to spend money on. Um, But yeah, I don't know. The Brewers, you kind of expect to not pay their players. It's just a, you know, a small market mentality, yeah. but the Padres are also in a small market. Like we're not talking San Diego. It's not like a crazy big time market. I think somebody said um, yesterday that San Diego and Pittsburgh have similar audiences in terms of their, their fan base. And in terms of people that go to the ballpark, like in terms of attendance, um, the pirates don't do anything like this. The pirates willingly sit there on, on 30 mil salary every year. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Padres are willing to do and, and able to do with their cap. Obviously the MLB, um, you get to the luxury tax. It starts to become a disaster very quickly, as you know, Yankees and Dodgers fans know very well. It'll be interesting. I think the Padres have made the right moves, but also like imagine the Padres don't win anything, then Hader leaves, and then you know Josh Bell will eventually leave. The Padres lineup is not a like, crazy long term good, so 
Um, it, it's going to be really interesting to look back at, like, obviously you're going and you're trading two former number one prospects from your system, the current number one, number three, number seven, number 15, number 28. Like we're talking about, you're literally just rinsing your system and hoping for the best after rinsing your system the last couple of years. Um, as a Dodgers fan, am I scared of the Padres? Sure. But as an Dodgers fan, do I think the Dodgers have the best lineup in baseball? Yeah. I, it's There's probably a whole lot of nothing that you could do to change that. Yeah, I, I think it's fair. And I mean, if you are the Padres, you're probably just sick and tired of the Dodgers, to be honest with you. They're like, oh, they beat us every year. We're like, they're always contenders to win the World Series. They, you know, again, have a great lineup, like you're saying. You know, they're probably just thinking like, man, like, what do we got to do? We got to get Juan Soto. We got to get Josh Hader. We got to make these big time moves to give us, you know, just a chance to compete with the Dodgers in a, you know, lengthy series. So, um, you know, I, I think that the Dodgers are potentially beatable, but I agree with you. I still would pick the Dodgers in, you know, a seven game series against San Diego at this point. So um you know we'll see how it plays out i mean they definitely have a little bit more intrigue but it's it's high risk like you said you're you're really kind of depleting your prospect pool that you worked so hard to build up and sometimes that's part of the reason you do it is so that you can be aggressive and make moves like this which um you know that's something that the cubs did a few years ago obviously they you know look back at their role as chapman trade and they gave up a lot but they got them their world series so they don't really care the results are really going to determine you know how this deadline went for the padres if they go out they you know get to a world series uh you know over the next two years they're going to prove to be worth it but if they still you know prove to themselves they can't get past a, a team like the Dodgers then um you know it, it's kind of a man well we could have had all this prospect depth and maybe had a little bit more sustained success than you know kind of going all in over the next uh you know two to three years I would say yeah I think that's very fair um I think you did mention the Yankees so I think we'll talk about the Yankees adding Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino from the athletics uh for their number five prospect and Ken Waldachuk uh, Luis Medina number 10 who is pretty close to being ready to pitch uh, in the pros, uh, JP Sears is number 20 and Cooper Bowman, who is number 21. Uh, I think we talk about every year, the Yankees need to add starters and the Yankees do add starters every year. It feels like, but none of them work out. We've seen it with like Sonny Gray, for example, yeah. the, the, the Sonny Gray disaster, just they, they would have never had to make this trade had Sonny Gray actually pitched well in, in New York. But I, I think if you're the Yankees, like this is like the perfect trade for you, not giving up any of the top prospects, you get a, a high end arm behind Garrett Cole, like, that obviously you don't like giving up four prospects for, for one pitcher who may or may not pitch well. Like there's, there's always a question mark with Frankie Montez because he does have stinker games, but if you're the Yankees, it's a move you have to make. And I don't know, like, it feels like this could be the right one. Like this might be the one that does it. Yeah, I'm very high on the Yankees. Obviously, they've had an unbelievable season, you know, this year to have an 11 game lead. And, you know, what I think is by far the best division in baseball, maybe even like sports right now, the AL East is just ridiculous with how competitive and, and how many good teams there are. So to see the Yankees, you know, far and away as one of the best teams and then to have this deadline here, I think Montas was definitely a really good ad. You know, I, I think that when I look at the Yankees, they really kind of build themselves through the bullpen. You know, we saw them also add Lou Trevino, uh, you know, from the A's uh, as well. So, um, you know, I think that that's usually the strength. And like you said, they needed to add another starting arm behind Garrett Cole, um, you know, for a lengthy playoff series. They're, they're going to need a couple more starters and they trade away Jordan Montgomery as well. So they needed to, to fill that spot. Um, and, and I think that Montas is definitely a good guy for them to add uh, at this spot. Certainly, I think he was the top starter that was available on the market so definitely credit to the Yankees for for going out and getting him definitely paid a, a fair price to, uh, to get him I know uh, Waldachuk um, was was the top prospect in that deal um, and, and certainly is uh, you know pretty highly regarded number five prospect in their system so uh, I, I think that it's a good return for the A's uh, but I also think it makes a lot of sense for the for the Yankees you know wanting to make sure they get another arm um, you know behind Cole as you said 
Yeah, I think there's a little bit of worry still with Yankees fans. Like they were in it until the end on Pablo Lopez. I think they were trying to add another starter. I don't think um, I'm not sure how much the growth from from Jordan Montgomery to Frankie Montez is. I don't know how how different um, the production is going to be. Obviously, Frankie Montez is a better pitcher. There's no real argument there. But I do think it's weird that the Yankees decided, hey, you know, Jordan Montgomery is is probably would have been their, their third or fourth best starter, depending on how you feel about Nestor Cortez. Um, and then you trade him. Uh, you're going to rely on Jamison Tyone in a playoff series, pitching game three or game four for your team, which is scary, I would say, given the fact that, you know, RK and I follow fantasy very, very closely. And Jamison Tyone is one of those guys that can either go out there and throw an absolute gem or he can get absolute shell. He's going to he's gonna be a, a very, very uh, interesting you know, guy on the mound, especially against you throw him against a team like the Astros. I'm not really, I'm not picking, I'm not picking the Yankees. I'm not picking Tyone in that situation, but um, it is interesting. The Yankees are always, they're always doing these little deadline, you know, they're finessing around. They're always hunting. And I think that made a whole lot of sense. Um, I guess we can move forward to what I would say is, is the saddest trade deal of, of any from the deadline. Um, Trey Mancini, a, a man that you want to love and admire sent to the, the, you know, I, I'm not as negative on the Astros anymore. I've kind of got over the whole, like, hatred, but you don't want to root for the Astros. And Trey Mancini is a player you want to root for. So the Astros ended up with Trey Mancini and Jaden Murray in a three-team trade. The Rays acquire Jose Siri, and the Orioles get number six prospect from Tampa and Seth Johnson, and number 12, Houston, and Chase McDermott. First off, obviously, yeah, Trey Mancini, great player. Like, it, it's a really, really good addition for a Houston team that seems to have lost a lot of talent the last couple of years, like, it seems like Trey Mancini should step in and be an absolute hummer in this lineup. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought that was a really good ad for Houston. I was surprised that Mancini even got moved. You know, we talked about the AL East as being one of the top divisions when we were just talking about the Yankees, but the Orioles, they, you know, they've been a respectable team themselves. So there could have been an argument for them to keep Mancini, but at 30 years old, I, I think it makes sense for the Orioles to say, all right, you know, we can realize that, you know, we're probably, even though we've had a, a better year than we expected, you know, probably not hoisting the the, the trophy this year. We're probably still, uh, you know, a, a year or two away at least um, at least. But Mancini, you know, you trade him away, you get some good prospect value back. And I think for Houston, it makes a lot of sense. You know, a guy like Michael Brantley has been injured for a while and we're not sure what kind of the status is on him. And especially at 35 years old, there's certainly a little bit of risk there. So you want to add a guy who has some versatility. Mancini, you know, he can play the outfield, he can play first base. So I think that it's a good value. They get him for, you know, this year and also next year you know, under uh, team control for through 2023 as well. So really like that for Houston. I think they're still gearing themselves up that they're like, yeah, we can compete with the Yankees. We, do, we don't fear nothing. So um, I think that that made a lot of sense for them. And the other move that they did is they went out and they got Will Smith uh, from Atlanta as well. They trade away Jake Odorizzi, which I thought was a pretty interesting trade. You know, not often we see two kind of contending teams, uh, you know, make a swap like that around the deadline time. But, you know, they add a little bit to their bullpen. They've had really good starting pitchers this year. Not sure if Odorizzi would have ended up getting a start in a potential playoff game. Uh, but it seems like he certainly could now for Atlanta. So a couple of moves for Houston. I think those are good ads uh, in Mancini first and then also getting Smith the uh, reliever. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what the Orioles are doing. I know obviously they're thinking about the future. They're not ready to win, but I find it incredibly hard to, to even imagine trading a guy like Trey Mancini who has pretty much built behind your system, uh, you know, built behind your city even. Like this is a guy that, um, I think if there's a fan favorite player out of the Orioles, Trey Mancini is that guy, obviously, uh, you know, dealing with cancer, beating cancer, and then getting out on the field, playing good ball. Um, the, again, the Orioles team that is overwhelmed uh, predictions, I would say. Definitely a team that was thought to be a bottom barrel team. Um, 
so it's interesting to me. I personally wouldn't have moved him regardless of what the return is. Obviously, you get the number six prospect from Tampa, uh, number 12 from Houston. It sounds great and everything, but Trey Mancini has a little bit more meaning to your team than just like a rental, I think. Um, but again, you know, the Orioles probably not there. Uh, I guess we can move forward to our last trade that we want to talk about. Uh, the Braves got Rysel Iglesias from the Angels for uh, Jesse Chavez and Tucker Davidson. Essentially nothing in the return. Like two guys that are probably not going to produce a whole lot for the Angels. Whereas Rysel Iglesias, you know, obviously the Braves have had issues with their bullpen. Uh, Kenley Jansen's had some health issues yet again. Uh, really unfortunate for him. But the Braves, you know, you shore up your, your bullpen for, for pretty much nothing. Like that's, that's about as no brainer as it gets. And the Atlanta Braves should very well be looking to do that. Given the fact that, you know, they finally have some real competition around them as high end teams with the Mets around them, the Phillies playing good ball. Uh, the Braves had to do something. Rachel Iglesias was the move that they decided to make. Um, what are your thoughts first off on the returns? Like pretty mediocre, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Iglesias is, you know, probably like a top 10 closer, uh, you know, in the game. Obviously, the Braves already have Kenley Jansen, so they get a little bit more firepower uh, towards their end of the game. You know, maybe a potential setup man or closer, you know, depending on availability in a, in a postseason game. But, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I thought that uh, it was surprising to see that as, uh, you know, the return uh, with it being Tucker Davidson and Chavez. I thought that the Angels may be looking for maybe a little bit better prospect in a situation like that. But, um, yeah, overall, I, I like to trade for Atlanta. Um you know, they trade away Will Smith uh, in that Houston deal we were just talking about, add Jake Odorizzi, but uh, no drop off in the bullpen when you get another uh, strong reliever in, in Rizella Iglesias, who I think is still pretty good. So uh, I like the move for Atlanta. And yeah, for the Angels, I mean, uh, I don't really know what's going on with the Angels. I think that's pretty much kind of like the common thinking across everybody. They're like, how are the Angels never good with Trout and Otani? And I know Trout's hurt right now, but you know, then they make a, a trade like this and you're like, huh, like, what are we still doing? You know, you'd maybe think, are we, are we getting more prospects? Like on a day when they trade away Brandon Marsh as well. Like I, the angels are just very much of a head scratcher for me. And, and this trade just kind of adds to it. Yeah. It's interesting given the fact that, you know, obviously the angels, they had expectations yet again for another year. Um, there were, we got down to the trade deadline. There was Otani talk, which would be an absolute disaster. Ever trading Shohei Otani from your team, uh, probably a mess. Uh, furthermore, obviously, they moved Noah Syndergaard, Rysel Iglesias, Brandon Marsh. The Angels are the Angels, and, and it's not a surprise there at all. Uh, unfortunately for our Angels fans, you know, uh, we have Eric Jensen who, who claims the Angels, and now he's a Padres fan, so that's uh, what we're not getting a whole lot of respect. Uh, Eric Jensen, you know, obviously boo him in the comments uh, whenever I tweet this out. Uh, sad, really. I guess we can move on to your team because the Dodgers didn't do a whole lot. Joey Gallo is great and all, but the Cubs had a very interesting – it may be like the opposite of what you expected in terms of what they were going to do, given the fact that this is a Cubs team we've been talking all year. Not a great, not a great ball club, really kind of a mess. Um, and, you know, obviously we saw, uh, I don't understand how you necessarily like, we're seeing Contreras crying in the dugout. Like it doesn't, he doesn't get traded. Um, and it's a really weird situation just in the fact that, I thought the Cubs would do everything they possibly could to get worse before they ended up getting better, which would mean, you know, obviously we've seen them move guys in the past, like Baez is gone and Bryant was gone guys. They didn't plan on keeping guys. They decided, Hey, we're just going to let this, we're going to let this rock. We're like, we're going to see what happens. We're going to rebuild. And then you get to a point where you're in a perfect position to cash out on a couple, maybe like tier two pickups. And then they just decide not to do anything pretty much. 
Yeah, I, I was uh, I was surprised for sure that, you know, Contreras and even a guy like Ian Happ, uh, you know, did not get moved. You know, Contreras, a lot of eyes were on him, you know, 30 years old, having one of the best seasons of his of his career, you know, free agent at the end of this year. Would a team want to acquire, you know, a, a good catcher, which I think a lot of teams would would be interested in, in a guy like Contreras. But, um, you know, the Cubs, they don't pull the trigger. Maybe there's a chance that they bring him back, which even still is kind of like maybe you could have, you know, cashed out on some uh, on some value. Um, you know, letting him go, getting some draft pick compensation or something along those lines. So, yeah, I'm not too sure about that strategy. Obviously, last year, the Cubs were the big headline at the deadline. They traded away everybody, Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, uh, Craig Kimbrell. Um, you know, at this deadline, it was pretty much just David Robertson. So I, I definitely thought they were going to be more active. I, I thought there was a potential that they could package uh, Contreras, who's, you know, 30 years old, a free agent after this year, with a guy like Ian Happ, who was an all-star and 27 years old, a free agent after next year. Uh, you know, the Cubs are 20 games under 500. I don't really see a purpose in terms of why you want to keep, uh, you know, those two players for, for the rest of this year. You know, uh, sure, you, you need another team to, you know, kind of pony up the prospects for it to be worth it. You don't want to just ship them off for, for peanuts, uh, you know, so to speak. But, um, you know, overall, when you kind of look at the Cubs, you know, it's just there's just not a ton of young talent that's ready to go at this point in time. You know, you have guys like Nico Horner and Nick Madrigal, you know, middle infielders, 25 years old. They've been solid. Um, you know, Christopher Morrell's had an, an all right year, uh, you know, his first. Uh, in the MLB at just 23 years old. They may also made the trade to get Zach McKinstry, but, you know, 27 years old. And I'm kind of just like, where, where's kind of the, the long-term plan here? Um, you know, I thought after last year, they were building some momentum towards kind of what the Nationals were doing. Yeah, we're going to ship them off. We're going to try to stimulate things, get this rebuild, uh, you know, going a, a couple years in advance. But I thought it was kind of a missed opportunity for the Cubs, uh, you know, at this deadline to, um, you know, hold on to Contreras and Hap. I, I thought they could have, uh, you know, helped themselves and, and gotten a little bit more young talent uh, in the prospect pool yeah I definitely agree I think it's fair and I think the Cubs are getting something we're going to look back at given the fact that you know let's say Contreras doesn't stick around with them like they're you're pretty much just wasting your time if you're not able to move guys like that guys that you know if I'm if I'm a, a positive war player on the Cubs I'm not trying to play for the Cubs this is a team that is going to be in a rebuild for I, I think you'd, you'd even accept four or five years until they're back at like you know playoff level that's not good that's not ideal and you don't want to waste guys time um it's gonna be interesting i wanted to uh, add on one more piece that you have no idea about the colorado rockies did not make a single move throughout the trade deadline this is a team i, I just want to mention you know we've talked about the rockies you know not necessarily being able to uh you know do the right thing in previous years but this is a team with a guy like cj crone uh 32 having an incredible year 22 homers 72 rbis already uh, a guy that was on the trade block, people that were talking, there are multiple people talking about, yeah, like this is a guy that could be a very big pickup. The Rockies didn't make a single move. They didn't trade any of their starters, didn't trade any of their levers, didn't trade any of their batters, didn't trade anybody, period. Um, how does that happen? Like, how, how does that even possible? Yeah, I mean, uh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, the Rockies, like, you, they they trade away Arenado with $50 million. They let Story go. You know, then they signed Chris Bryant. And then, you know, now they're in a situation where they still suck. But, yeah, like you said, they, they stand pat. They don't make any moves, you know. I think that, you know, that's a situation where, yeah, you, maybe we're trying to, you know, build the prospect pool up. Uh, you know, what 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 is the direction? I think that's just a fair question to ask the Rockies. Like, I don't really know what the, you know, clear, clear direction or movement is. You know, clearly it's not going well this year. They're not anywhere close to competing. There's no question that, um, you know, they shouldn't have been going to look to add anywhere. But, yeah, I think that there was an opportunity for them to sell. And you mentioned Crone. That would have made a lot of sense. Cash out on some value while he's having one of the best years that he's had. Um, but that's obviously not the direction that they ended up going there.
Yeah, I guess we can shift over to the NFL. We have some really weird, uh, you know, rulings and weird news on the Deshaun Watson thing. Um, obviously, Deshaun Watson has been given a six-game suspension without pay, but no fine. Um, given the sexual misconduct issues that he's had uh, over the past year with with what seemed to be uh, dozens of different women, which is really just uh, uh, shocking that six games is what they came up with, given the fact that, like, I feel like we see bigger suspensions for for marijuana. Um, you know, substance abuse is probably the biggest of the suspension. There's obviously domestic violence issues. Um, but I, I guess that they decided that Deshaun Watson was not violent in his conduct. It was nonviolent sexual conduct. Um, and, and first off, like, I, I guess I'll just get your, your opinion on it. Six games seems like a little bit light to me after, given the fact that we've set, sat here um, Deshaun Watson didn't play last year at all. He sat out. And then this year we were talking like, oh, he could be out the entire year. And now we're talking six games, which is a, a slap on the wrist maybe. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned like other suspensions the NFL does. The one that stands out to me is Calvin Ridley. This guy got an entire year for betting on a parlay with the Falcons in it. And he wasn't even playing in the game because he was injured. And I'm like, you got a full season, but Watson's only getting six games. Like, I don't see how any of this adds up, um, you know, to make any sort of sense. You know, NFL suspensions has been a joke and really has been most publicized. We're going back to Ray Rice when, when he got suspended and everyone was all in uproar about, you know, that being super light. And I think Watson's another example, you know, and as you said, there's no criminal, you know, cases um, that was all settled, but um, you know, still, I, I think that's not necessarily like the message you want to send, like only six games in a spot like this, right after Calvin Ridley got a full year for just betting on football. Like I, I just don't see how that makes any sort of sense. Um, you know, with, with Watson only getting six games when you compare it to, to Ridley just betting on games specifically. So, yeah, I thought it was light uh, for sure. You know, the Browns, they're going to go with Jacoby Brissett. It certainly seems like for the first couple of games, uh, they also have uh, Josh Dobbs and Josh Rosen on their roster. So some funny, funny backups there. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I just was surprised that, that it wasn't a little bit more um, than six. And especially because it came out at six, usually you get the guy to appeal it and then, you know, maybe it gets brought down to four or whatever the situation is. I thought that it was surprising that it was only six for sure yeah I just don't understand how we go this long and like there's so much talked about and, and so many people there's all these lawsuits and then this guy gets six games which in reality like he's been practicing he's he's pretty much in in good shape to play he will end up stepping right in and knowing the playbook and everything um I, I don't know I find it find it really interesting how Browns fans are kind of just like yeah you know six games we'll take it like good enough and then they're quiet obviously and then the, the weirdest part to me is how the NFL, you know, obviously we've seen the Brian Flores incident. We knew that was coming and the NFL decided they were just going to shove that under the rug, you know, keep it quiet until Deshaun Watson ended up getting his suspension. And then they said, oh, you know, the NFL is going to gonna strip the Miami Dolphins of a first round pick because they uh, they were tampering with Tom Brady and Sean Payton, among other other players. Um, it, it was primarily the team owner, Stephen Ross, which is. Uh, you know, this is why we say owners need to just stay out of sports. They need to just, you know, obviously you can, you can know the sport, you can love the sport, but let your, you know, let your GM and gang, you know, do the, do the trick. I find this one even more bizarre than the Deshaun Watson situation. Obviously the Deshaun Watson situation is terrible, but how does this, like, why did these come out at the same time? Were they ready? Were they prepared to just like shove this out and just like hope that the PR, I, how does that work? Well, first of all, yes, the NFL 100% intentionally puts out PR things like on like, like uh, the most classic example that that was one example, but the most classic example of the NFL doing it is like, they'll put out like bad story news on like a Friday afternoon, like, 
like so that everyone's like away for the weekend already like no we're just hoping we can brush it on the rug classic like and i mean hey if you're an nfl pr person i guess credit to you for for recognizing that whatever but that's obviously your job but yeah that's just classic nfl trying to brush things under the rug that that make them look bad but yeah this was a weird one i think tampering is just kind of a weird topic like i feel like it occurs you know i mean i'm not you know trying to recruit tom brady but i feel like tampering has got to be a thing like uh more common than we think but it just doesn't really get you know called out that much and yeah you mentioned that the brian flores kind of like uh you know him getting fired was a little strange we look into you know were they tanking that kind of got some eyeballs on the on the dolphins and then you know we find out that they were officially tampering with sean payton trying to recruit him to be their next head coach as well as tom brady trying to get him to be their quarterback uh, obviously he came back to Tampa Bay, so it didn't work out, but yeah, tampering is just kind of a weird topic. It's, it's very rare. I feel like we end up seeing, you know, a suspension or in this case, a forfeiture of a first round pick as well, uh, for the dolphins in this one. So, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of interesting that, you know, we see a little bit of an example of it. Well, it's, it's something that I think probably does occur more often than we think. So to see it actually be called out and uh, punished is, is kind of a, a noteworthy thing. I think, uh, you know, that we can kind of look back on over the next couple of years. Oh, I remember when that happened to the dolphins. So kind of an interesting, uh, little sequence there. Yeah, you know, I, I imagine the Dolphins are really bad. They end up with the number one pick and then it ends up getting forfeit. That'd be uh, yeah. quite interesting. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was very telling when Roger Goodell went out there and said, I know of no prior instance of a team violating the prohibition on tampering with both a head coach and star player to the potential detriment of multiple other clubs over a period of several years. Similarly, I know of no prior instance in which ownership was so directly involved in the violations. That is like, that seems like grounds when you're saying things like that seems like grounds to make you sell a team. But I guess, you know, draft picks like whatever yeah. dude like uh, at this point i don't understand how anything works in the nfl i know the nfl is a well-oiled machine in terms of like scandal management i think that the nfl is yeah. built behind scandal management we've known this for years but like dude it, it's like frustrating honestly as a sports fan you sit here and you see things like that it's like tampering seems like one of those things that it's like absolutely not allowable absolutely not excusable one of these things that you have to address immediately and yet nothing yeah. Yeah. No, I, I uh, definitely agree with all that. And yeah, I mean, it is punishment. Uh, I saw a tweet as well that, uh, you know, Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, and I think like the next guy in charge was also like suspended. So like the highest owner that's not suspended for the Dolphins right now is like Fergie, like, like legitimately, <laughs> like Fergie is like in charge of the Miami Dolphins right now. Obviously, like she's not running football ops, but just kind of a funny little thing there that uh, that happened with the Dolphins that that all their owner and top uh, top people are, are getting suspended or, or getting away for a little bit. Yeah, you know, it'd be like it'd be like Jerry Jones getting suspended or whatever for ten, like that just can't happen. It doesn't. It's yeah. it's not something that you could even imagine. Um, but I guess you know before we we close it out here, the NFL is the NFL, and you know what you're getting out of the NFL. The NFL is always gonna have these these fun storylines that you think about, like oh, like it, I guess this is why people love the league because there's so much excitement, so much just just garbage that happens. But man, like this one seems bad. This one seems like like the rough one. Yeah, we're we're stealing the this league man from the NBA. We're putting it's it on the NFL. 100% this league. You have Deshaun Watson get suspended for sexual conduct and then you have the NFL stripping a team of the first round pick for tampering for for Tom Brady and Sean Payton like yeah. we're talking about, you know, hopefully something that never happens again. I I'm kind of sick of the whole tampering talk. We we hear it in the NHL all the time. So, um I I guess we're pretty much done here. RK, you want to close us out? 
Yeah, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, no questions in this one. Wanted to get uh, some news into this one, a full uh, MLB trade deadline recap for you guys. Nice to have some good sports news. Last week was a little bit lighter in terms of what's coming out. So baseball's heating up, obviously, post-trade deadline. Now we got some stack teams in the MLB, uh, just the, the how they drew it up, I guess, with the big markets, uh, you know, coming to bat. So excited to see how baseball finishes up. We'll obviously keep an eye on that one. Uh, you know, football getting going in a little bit. We got some scandals we had to go over, of course. So appreciate everybody for tuning into this one. As always, we'll have Sheck West on the next podcast, of course. No surprise to, to anyone on that one. But, yeah, we thank everybody for, for listening in. We really appreciate it. Keep in touch with us on uh, social media. All our uh, all our listeners ask us a question for next time. And, yeah, we uh, guys all hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Peace, everybody. Peace. Life couldn't get better. This gonna be the best